Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com. Website creation is hard. But now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and get a unique WordPress website or store right away. From there, you can customize your design, colors, and content. And Bluehost automatically helps you get found in search engines like Google and Bing. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins, Bluehost makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. Hello, and welcome to the New European Podcast. My name is Richard Porritt, and I'm joined by Steve Anglesey. Uh, hello, Snowflakes. Hello, Richard. Oh, do we, we talk, could we catch you off guard there, Steve? Well, I was, I don't know, I'm just a little discombobulated at, at the moment because, um, because obviously I'm, I'm planning to, to move to the, the new People's Republic, the Democratic Republic of Kent. But I'm not <laughs> sure that I qualify for a, a Kent passport. So I did briefly live in Kent. It's, uh, yeah, it's very strange, isn't it? Isn't it funny how... You know, we were we were told that all of these things were were sort of project fear, and now they they seem to be project fact, don't they? You know, we've had project fact. We've had, um, we, you know, we were so delighted with the idea of a hard border in in down the island of Ireland that we're going to have one between Kent and the rest of the country. Um, we, we, you know, we were told that Kent, the Garden of England, is going to be turned into the car park of England. Seven thousand truck uh, truck long queues in Kent. Two-day delays to trade, disruption to imports. Um, we, t- we were told that no banks would 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 take their assets away, wouldn't they? And then we've seen J.P. Morgan Chase and so moving two hundred billion euros from the UK to Frankfurt, um, and um, it, it just seems like it just seems like we we sort of said all this at the time, didn't we? And then we were told that we were we were wrong. So. Well, it won't be the first time we will be proved right, Steve. I'm absolutely sure of that. Um, We'll try and cheer you up, listener. Um, We will bring you the news. Uh, We are recording as Rishi Sunak is on his feet. So although I will try and... He's on his feet a lot, isn't he? He is. He's a very healthy young man. I don't know. Do you know that he doesn't sleep standing up? Or maybe upside down. Didn't Bruce Wayne sleep upside down for a time? Well, he was a he was a bat, wasn't he? So, are you saying really Richard Sunak is Batman? Well, maybe, maybe. Uh, I'm, I can't. I, I I imagine if we were to ask his press people, they would not confirm or deny that. So, maybe we should do that. Um, we will bring the news. There's lots of it, as always. Um, there will be a Brexit of the week, and we've got author. Uh, James Felton joining us as well, who is about to um, publish a brand new book about the Sun newspaper. So he'll be joining us very shortly. Should we get to the news first, Stephen? Well, we can do the we can do the news first. Um, I don't we know what t- you want to talk about. We could about. do it last. 
<laughs> we could yeah, not do it at all. It'd <laughs> be a bit of a turn up for the books, wouldn't it? Well, I'll tell you what I would like to talk about just very briefly is um, the sad passing of uh, Sir Harold Evans, who yes. died at the age of 92. If you don't know uh, who Sir Harold Evans is, then he was the celebrated um, editor of the Sunday Times. Um, but before that was an absolutely extraordinary regional newspaper journalist and and editor and he went and i'm pretty sure this has never happened before and will definitely never happen again he went from editing the northern echo um regional paper in the north of england to the the big chair at the sunday times at the time this was way back in the 60s but at the time you know they, he, a lot of people doubted that he had the ability to do it not only did he have the ability to do it he absolutely nailed it one of the finest journalists and uh, and uh, social campaigners um, of of our generation. He also taught us all, all as journalists, how to write correctly. Not all of us manage it, but um, with such incredible books as Essential English for Journalists. And um, and he also taught us how to crop pictures, how to use pictures on news pages. But I think above and beyond that, he, his promotion of investigative journalism, uh, which lives on, of course um in the in the pages of all um of all decent publications um was extraordinary i was very lucky um to be a neighbor of bruce pages who was the editor of the insight team under um sir harry during uh during the, the 70s late 60s and 70s um and it was you know it was it was those two men's determination um to do what was right for the victims of thalidomide that finally got them some kind of justice in the end uh, ex- an extraordinary career, an extraordinary life. Um, uh, rest in peace, uh, and Sir Harry. Backed, of course, as editor of the Sunday Times by Rupert Murdoch, whose name I, I believe may come up when we talk to, to Jim. I Felt. believe so. And I mean, I've just written a little tribute piece to um, to Sir Harry, and I said, you know, he, he had what most British politicians have been unable to muster, and that is the balls to stand up to. Uh, to Rupert Murdoch because their falling out came um, at, at the end of the 70s when he bought the Sunday Times about editorial independence and his ability as editor to publish exactly what he wanted. Um, he was he was moved aside from the Sunday Times to the Times, um, but he only stuck it out for a year. He was no fan of uh, of, of Mr. Murdoch, I think that's putting it. And, and, and Bruce Page certainly is not. He's written a couple of books that have uh, got him into deep water with regards to Mr. Murdoch. So, um, it, yeah, an, an, incredi- an incredible journalist and a, a, a true and a great raconteur as well. His book, um, My Paper Chase, is, yes, is absolutely superb. Pick it up and read it because it is a fantastic uh, piece of work. Um, um, I don't think we should spend a lot of time on, um, on, on, the, um, on the issue of uh, COVID and everything, but I, I, did, I really wanted to... Because you know, I know everybody is, is is talking about it, and it's it's a bit too early for us to really digest the the Rishi Sunak stuff. Um, but I really, the, I thought the, the one of the most extraordinary things this week was when Ben Bradshaw asked um, at, at PMQs why Germany and Italy had a lower death rate than the, the UK, and Boris Johnson replied, "There's an important difference between our country and other countries around the world." And that is our that is that our country is a freedom loving country. It's, it's just extraordinary a movement, obviously. Yeah. <laughs> and then he also said it's very difficult to ask the British population uniformly to obey guidelines in the way that is necessary. One well, mate, it is very difficult to get your chief of staff to uniformly obey guidelines in the way that's necessary. 
Um, so, um, it, it, I mean, just incredible stuff. It's the, There is a Tory, just when you... He settled one Tory civil war, didn't he, by sort of sacking everybody that disagreed with him. And now there is another Tory civil war coming. Lucy Allen saying there's no threat to the nation's collective health. Now, you know, Steve Baker from X of the ERG has organised um, uh, a, a rebellion against the legal extension of, of lockdown powers. That is, you know, that's probably going to... Well, it, it could fail, couldn't it? They could fail to extend their lockdown powers if, if Labour vote with the, the Tory rebels. He says there's, there's one minister and 50 Tory MPs back in this. It's, it's mm. just extraordinary times. And I wonder what all of this means. You know, I, I don't know what you think, but what does all of this mean when... Because I think if we're going to do this, and if we're talking about a six-month slog, and we can talk about in a minute about why it might not be a six-month slog, but I actually do want to see people if we if we're, we really are going to do this i do want to see some covid marshals about there and i do want to see people um being told to wear masks and being fined if they don't wear masks without a good reason um and it's you know it's quite weird i'm up in nottingham at the moment i've i've been to a large and small supermarket in the last few days there's the i gotta say it's there is very spotty observance of the of the the sort of rules on on masks a lot of people are wearing them quite a few people aren't you know i know there are some um i know there are some uh, uh, quite a lot of people who have got um good reasons not to wear them it seems like there's 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 higher a higher uh, amount of not wearing that will be covered by those exemptions and i you know i don't like having to say people should wear masks but it just, I don't know, it just seems like the, the, that we're at a sort of breaking point with this and Boris Johnson's at one with the country and one with his own party. What do you, what do you think? Well, with regard to masks, I think the message of it's not about, you know, I keep hearing people say, oh, oh, I'm not scared about getting it, I'm not worried about getting it. That's not the issue. I mean, how difficult is this for people to understand? It's not, it shouldn't be difficult. And it's not being helped by the likes of Ian Brown, Van Morrison... Um, and Noel Gallagher, frankly, is it? Um, you know, I, I just think, of course, I don't, I don't want to wear a mask. Um, I, and I can't wait until I never have to see another one again. But mm. I, I, I'm not doing it for me. I'm doing it for the person who I might be stood behind in the queue at the supermarket or the colleague who might walk past me in the office. You know, and I just think... It isn't, it, it, we can make it into some weird Orwellian, um, you know, controlling of the people thing if, we're, if we want. But that would be a nonsense. This, this virus kills people. Um, hopefully, uh, you know, we, we, can, we, we can get on top of it in time. But right now, is wearing a mask so much of an imposition? Even if, do you know what, even if you do think it's a nonsense and we shouldn't be wearing the masks. Yes. Do you really want to terrify some poor old girl who, 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 or old chap who, who, who's barely leaving their house but is forced to once a week to go and get food? Do you really want to terrify him by coughing next to him? Just put a mask on, you know? It, it, is... seems, it seems quite clear, doesn't it? I, I think my enjoyment of Ian Brown's singing would be helped greatly if he did wear a mask. 
Um, yeah, also, I think the crowd at Reading Festival would probably agree with you. <laughs> it's, it's also extraordinary, isn't it, that there's, there's Van Morrison, who's notorious for, for sort of seeing into his feet and turning his back on his on the audience to, to say that you know contact is a contact with uh, with the other people is essential and, yeah. and all of that. <laughs> um very funny um talking of very funny the front cover of this week's new european which is locked down to uh just when you thought it'd be safe it's it was safe to go back into the water which is a, a parody of the jaws 2 um the jaws 2 poster is 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 a it's it's a cracker isn't it another one from the great chris barker yeah very good and um that, um, you know, Jaws 2 was Jaws 2 The Revenge, wasn't it, I think? I believe it was, yeah, I believe so. Um, and, you know, people have, um, there's obviously quite a lot of, I mean, when, when you talk about those subtitles, not the subtitles that come up on the bottom of uh, screens when you're watching a film in a foreign language, but the subtitles of movies, movie sequels, um, when you talk about, number uh films that are number twos um if you like you know the ones that always <laughs> come up are breaking break into electric boogaloo and alvin and the chipmunks too do you know what that one was yes that was um something to do with squeaking wasn't it the squeakquel yeah which is particularly fine that's the best bit about that film by uh, no shadow of a doubt i've not seen that one but i've <laughs> seen the first one um but there's quite a few ones that are that are sort of opposite. Um, Lockdown Two Into Darkness, I think, is a <laughs> Star Trek one. Uh, Lockdown Two Risk Addiction. That was Ooh. Basic Instinct. Um, to was that the one that Stan Collymore was in? Stan Collymore was in it. Yeah, <laughs> bizarrely. Uh, a very good story about that, but sadly, it's not for public broadcast. Well, if, you, you know, can if, tell that's the next time. Me, if, we can, if we can ever go to the pub again, new European listeners, or we ever do a live broadcast, I will tell you. Um, all about that. Lockdown 2, Money Never Sleeps. That was Wall Street 2. Do you know what? I thought Wall Street 2 was not a good film, but it wasn't as bad as the critics said. It wasn't as bad as the critics said. However, Lockdown 2, uh, sorry, Basic Instinct 2, Risk Addiction, was, it was much worse <laughs> than even the critics said. We asked, um, I asked some, some uh, new European podcast listeners and readers of the new European what they thought um, on social media Guy Fraser said it would be anything as long as it's not locked down to Endgame, which is, that's a Avengers one, isn't it? Richard Luck, who's a fine TNE contributor, said uh, locked down to Secret of the Ooze, um, which I believe is Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Chris Barker, who we were talking about earlier on, that he is the, the genius who does our covers. Uh, he said locked down to Mission to Moscow. Uh, How from, long before Police Academy gets a reboot? Police Academy 7, that was. It's amazing, uh, isn't God. it? God. Um, and then some friends of, uh, friends of TNE, Nick Sapaniak, fine sports journalist and a friend of mine, he said the Naked Gun sequels were The Smell of Fear and The Final Insult. Any of those would work for lockdown too. They ben were good Krass, friends. Your little protege. Yeah. You love him, don't you? you He's been... We played golf last night. He was good. I was dreadful. He's been, uh, he's, he's been a co-host on this very podcast. He has. He has. Uh, he says lockdown to the edge of reason, which was British, Bridget Jones one. Uh, Darren Leithley says Termina- uh, after Terminator 2, Judgment Day, lockdown to very judgmental days. <laughs> um, Stephen J. Henstridge, lockdown to die harder, which I like. Rod. Whose, whose Twitter handle is at Rod. Brilliant. He must have been such an early adopter, mustn't he? Brilliant. At Rod. Lockdown to 
doing the voyage home, which was a Star <laughs> Trek one. Uh, John Holman says the third Sharknado film had the subtitle "Oh Hell No," <laughs> so in honour of this cinematic masterpiece, it would have to be locked down to "Oh Hell No." Yeah. Uh, there you go. Didn't get, a nom- didn't get any nominations at the Oscars that year, did it? It certainly was. It deserved greater recognition, I think. Um, I've got a little quiz for you. Oh, all right, great. Um, before we before we bring uh, James Felton on. Um, these are all other suggestions. T- tell me the names of the films that these that these were actually inspired by, the sequels that these were actually inspired by. Lockdown 2, Back in the Habit. Uh, that's uh, Sister Act. It is. Lockdown yes. 2, On the Rocks. On the Rocks. Oh, that's... Um, oh, uh, the thing with Dudley Moore. Uh, yes. Oh, God, what was it called? Can I come back to it? Yes, you can. Lockdown 2, When Nature Calls. When Nature Calls. Is that, um, uh, is Ventura? It certainly is. And, oh. and Lockdown 2, Dead Men's Chest. Dead Men's Chest? Dead, dead, dead Man's Chest? Dead Man's Chest. Is that like Tomb Raider or something? It's Pirates of the Caribbean. Uh. And the other one, Dudley Moore, obviously, was, was it was Arthur 2 on the road. Arthur. Arthur. Arthur 2 on the rocks. Okay. I've got to say, the funniest thing that I've seen uh, uh, about this was another friend of mine, Pete Keeley, who did not send in a suggestion for Lockdown 2 subtitles, but did, he did say, every time I see Lockdown 2 written down now, I immediately add Electric Avenue to it in my head. <laughs> so it's Lockdown 2, Electric Avenue. Electric we'll Avenue. Shall the famous Brixton Street. Yes. Let's welcome. On, let's welcome our guest, James Felton. James, are you there? I am. Hi. Fingers crossed. Hi. Welcome. Thanks for thanks for coming on. Um, we're going to fire a lot of questions at you, but how about first, if you just tell us all about this 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 book? Tell us when we can get it. Tell us what it's about. Just give us a quick blurb. Uh, so it's basically uh, me sitting down and reading all the copies of The Sun from the moment Murdoch took it over until now, going slightly out of my mind in the process. <laughs> um, so, uh, yeah, it's just a thorough history of all the terrible things they've done and one, one nice story thrown in for good measure. <laughs> um, one, one nice story. That's the story of the dog that eats the cash, isn't it? That's the one, yeah. <laughs> so that's the that's the best story the sun has done since Murdoch took over. Uh, I think so, yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, no. And when are we going to? Oh, sorry, go. On. When 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 can we? When and it's this. It's called uh, sunburn, isn't it? Yes. And when can we expect to see it hit the shelves? Uh, the seventh of October. The seventh uh, of October. Excellent. Well, I'm I'm I am absolutely certain that our listeners. Um, you will find a receptive audience with them um, because they uh, will agree with you on not being a great fan of the sun. Um, y- t- tell us a bit about you then. You know, what, 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 what made you think, because I know you've got another, another book which we've mentioned on this uh, podcast before, but what, what, why did you go, oh, I'm going to do uh, the, the Murdoch and the Sun are next from, in the firing line for me? Um, I feel like someone had to... <laughs> Um, had to do a bit of a takedown of the sun. Um, it's kind of skewed up political debates for a long time now um, in a way that you don't see with other boob magazine, like you never see the editor of Jugs going into Downing Street. Um, and I just felt like... Well, someone... Desmond's been. 
so so I just felt like the uh, uh you know it's a topic I'm interested in and I thought there's a lot of uh, crazy stuff to talk about that maybe younger people don't really know about um their history of uh, being awful even more awful than they are today um I thought it'd be fun to bring to light and I thought I could do it in a funny way so that's why I went for this one okay what was the what's the sort of the 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 worst of the worst do you think I mean we were looking through it we were looking through it yesterday that there's there's a, a lot of there's a remarkable amount of cruelty and um and and uh, homophobia certainly um what what's the thing that what was i mean the jade the, the stuff with jade goody which i'd kind of forgotten about particularly was particularly horrible i thought yeah um yeah there's definitely some horrible stuff with they do like to pick a celebrity to hound um elton john was one in the 1980s that they really went for um and he eventually won a big libel payout against them when they claimed his dogs um he'd removed the voice boxes of his dogs <laughs> um just one out of the hat but the, the kind of the worst things i found was definitely in the era of uh, calvin mckenzie um the 1980s the homophobia the blatant racism the obvious sexism <laughs> um it was just a horrible era and their coverage of AIDS was spectacularly bad, um, including um, claiming that s- straight people can't get AIDS at one point, um, and covering things l- like um, one of the headlines uh, was "Fly away gays and we will pay," offering to fly gay people who didn't like the sun to Norway uh, as long as it was a one-way ticket. So, yeah, it's been a horrible paper f- for a very long time, but especially in the 80s. I wouldn't, you... um, sorry, Steve, I'm just going to... I, 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 I absolutely agree with you on, on the uh, coverage of AIDS and, uh, and homophobia was, you know, was, was, was awful. I think, we, I think we can all agree and underline that fact as something that was uh, a pretty um, a, a, abysmal part of, uh, of the newspaper's history. I... I I'm interested, though, in in the celebrity element. Um, I know you, I mean, one of the most famous front pages of all time is Freddie Starr ate my hamster. I think it's fairly well known that because he didn't actually eat a hamster. It was, and you explain it very well in your book. Um, But I I struggle to have much sympathy for for Elton John and his dogs. And I think, you know, what we saw with with those ridiculous, in my opinion, libel payouts in in the 80s and 90s was, I mean, that's got sort of ended now, hasn't it? And I I actually, I saw Elton interviewed about this by Graham Norton in a really sycophantic hour-long special. And I'm, uh, and I, and listen, I like Elton John's music. I've been known to, um, to, to sing along with your song. And uh, and um, goodbye, Yellowbrick Road. But I, ju- I I just think the thing with celebrities is, and this goes beyond the sun, and uh, and I would include Hugh Grant definitely in this, is that they're very keen to be in newspapers when they've got something to sell, and not so keen to be in newspapers when something maybe doesn't go their way. Mm. Um, you know, the the treatment of everyday people by um, tabloid newspapers, including the Sun, uh, at times has you know in in the past and perhaps even to this day has been has been wrong. 
but are we are we really supposed to feel any sympathy for multi-millionaire Elton John? Uh, well, it's, it's, uh, one, I'd say yes. <laughs> he, um, this dog's big campaign against him where they would uh, publish details about his private life and publish photos of him in compromised situations, <laughs> to say the least. Um, and a lot of it wasn't true. It was just made by an escort, yeah. Um, which they, uh, which was all part of the same um, lawsuit. Do you think um, that the that the uh, aggression towards Elton John was perhaps um, fueled because of his because of his personal life and because he was a gay man? Do you think that there was an underlying element of that in in there? Yeah, definitely. They yeah they um they definitely. They were they were obsessed with gay people in, yeah. during that era and constantly using homophobic language, sure. the, the F word, and yeah, it was definitely a part of it. So what about? Um, oh, sorry, go on. So what about? Sorry, sorry, Steve. I, <laughs> I'll wait, I'm, I'm I'm fascinated by this, and and um, I, I, you know, I'm I am a James. What you should, I'm a complete newspaper obsessive. And um, you know, and 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 read read your book pretty much in one one sitting. And uh, I, I mean, I mean, I'm going to just stick on the celebrities for for a little bit. The I mean, what do, do you also feel sorry then for Max Mosley? Do you? I know that that's not the son. That was the news of the world, wasn't it? But do you still do you feel that he was wrongly done by? It's hard to muster up sympathy for Max Mosley sometimes, but. <laughs> 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 um. There is some sympathy in your book for, 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 for Freddie Starr, though, isn't there? Um, and, you know, I, I know that that was sort of a stitch-up between uh, Kelvin and um, Max Clifford. Yeah. Um, but I, I, I perhaps have learned something from your book, and I've read about the Sun and tabloid journalism widely. I mean, I think Stick It Up Your Punter, which I'm sure you've read, is the, right, yeah. is the sort of... Uh, is, is sort of top of the tree, in my opinion, when it comes to um, uh, the history of tabloid newspapers in this country. Um, but I mean, did, did it did it real did it really impact on on Freddie's career that that much? Um, yeah, probably. It really did good things for his career. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, again, not another one that I feel that sorry for. Um, he, <laughs> he did seem to actually genuinely hate the idea that people thought he had eaten this thing in later interviews and started, went on quite a big rant in one of his books. Yeah. <laughs> I guess it's one of those things that just followed him round, really, probably, rather than... I, I can't believe that anyone really, you know... I think most people pretty quickly from reading that story would re- would realise that, it, you know, if they, if they were... Most people in this country are versed on how how tabloid newspapers work and they have changed extraordinarily since the 80s I, I would suggest and even the 90s actually um I, I, and I, I i struggle to believe that anyone still thinks that freddie star actually did eat a hamster i have to say steve it's uh, yeah i can I, i'm happy to hand over to you now steve <laughs> okay <laughs> i just i wanted to to ask whether reading so reading through all of this whether you got a sense of why the sun was so popular and i and i'm not saying that from a sort of you know pearl clutching situation I, i'm i'm saying that because when i started in 
started in, in journalism, which is a very long time ago now, you know, we would get, I would see the sun in, in the office every day. And, um, you know, it was kind of, I mean, I remember the, I remember the, the homophobia. Obviously, I remember page three. I remember that quite a lot of it was very funny and it was very creative. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I remember that there was, you know, they wrote about um, football transfers. I think we were an obsession with them before they were an obsession, the sort of national obsession they are now. Um, and I know that it was kind of revered among journalists for its production values and that it was, you know, it was the writing was incredibly tight and all of that kind of stuff. It was very, for a tabloid, it was very well designed. Did you, did you get any of the sense of why, I mean, it was up to 4 million people were buying it? Yeah. Um, yeah, it, all those things are true. It was um, it was well written. Even when they were doing a racism, their puns were good. <laughs> um, um, so uh, yeah, it was kind of a fun thing for uh, its audience. It really knew its audience and was happy to do anything to chase them, um, including feeding into their prejudices, prejudices on the dark side of it and kind of chasing celebrities, um, chasing royal scandal stories. They were the kind of the first paper to do that kind of thing. And yeah, I think they just tapped into what their audience really wanted and went for that rather than uh, you know, valued that over kind of the truth and telling them a bit more context about. Because that's the, that's the sort of the key thing for me, isn't it, is the, the key question, and I don't know the answer to this, and I, don't, I wonder whether you, what you think, but it's whether the sun has, and it's, it's, I guess you can ask the same questions about social media now, it's whether the sun influenced people to think like the sun and made them think the worst of, of things and people and people who are different to them or did the sun just reflect the unpleasant things that people were saying and thinking anyway and just amplified them what do you what do you think yeah i think it uh a case of both ways it reflects and then reinforces them um so it, say it found out that people aren't keen on asylum seekers refugees they feed them these horror stories week after week of um, people coming over pretending to be children that kind of thing whereas rather than kind of either pay less attention to that or f- focus on positive stories and stuff like that so yeah um sorry i'm rambling a bit i didn't sleep at all last night <laughs> um this podcast is famed for its rambling jim yeah. so you're in <laughs> you're, you're in very good company middle-aged men <laughs> rumble away <laughs> I shouldn't say that Richard is middle-aged. I'm oh, well. I am. <laughs> well, all right, you are. Um, I was going to. I was also going to ask whether you think you could have written this book in in five years' time, because you know the sun seems to be in a kind of an inexorable decline, doesn't it? It's it's it, you know during lockdown it slipped behind the mail as Britain's most read paper. It seems like you know it is becoming more and more irrelevant do you do you think that do you think that it that is true or do you think that the influence that they had over stuff like uh well brexit you know with months and months of asylum seeker headlines before that do you think the sun is still relevant on in, in the national conversation or is it slipped out slipping out of view 
so uh, stick it up your punter when they uh, wrote it uh, their first edition they predicted that they wrote it then because they were predicting kind of the decline of the sun that hasn't really happened they've still stayed the same obviously papers are declining but they stayed ahead of all the others um i think they will struggle on for quite a bit their um online edition is picking up a lot of um a lot more traffic now according to recent reports so i think they'll still be relevant for the foreseeable future um even if they are struggling behind the mail with their older readers who don't <laughs> like to go online um so yeah um i just thought right now whilst we've just had uh, uh the obviously just gone through brexit um it'd be good to talk about them right now um considering their role in euroscepticism and stuff like that so i thought now is the time really yeah and how much how much of this do you think rupert murdoch is responsible for how much we were just talking about him um, earlier on how much do you think that he dictates what this what the, what the sun has has put out over the years and 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 what britain has become that's a toughie um he I've got to say thank you to him for succession by the way that's i mean <laughs> not only is it great but he's he's you know it's his company that makes it it's brilliant <laughs> Well, I think they air it in this country. I think well, it's yeah. a HBO, isn't it? It's a HBO, okay. Um, so, um, from from what I've read, uh, he's fairly hands-off once he's actually picked an editor in, with varying degrees with different, different editors. Um, I'd blame uh, Calvin McKenzie a lot <laughs> for a lot more of uh, what we became in the 1980s than I would... Rupert Murdoch. I guess with Mur, I guess I guess Murdoch I- I enabled Mackenzie, didn't he? Yeah. And of course, famously with the with the gotcha headline, which actually um, yeah. wasn't wasn't even Mackenzie's headline. It was his features editor, I believe, um, who came up with it. But you know, Mackenzie pulled that after the first edition. So it's not something a lot of people know, because because he realised this is going to this is too far. This is going to get me a kick in. Then later, I had a conversation with Murdoch, who did give him a kick in. But for pulling the first headline, you know, Murdoch yeah, liked yeah. Gotcha. Yeah. Um, so I think, I think that, um, yeah, hands off. But I think people, I think editors understand. He picks editors who understand what he wants them to yeah, do. That's true. I, I think, I think that's the. Um, I, I've got a few of the questions, and these are a bit more broad, uh, James. And then you can get back off to bed. You obviously deserve some sleep after being up all night. Um, but is there a danger? Um, and I and I'm acutely aware of this, uh, uh, doing this podcast as well. That um, you know we know our audience so well, and and we agree with them. You know, um, but is there a danger that we? Uh, I'm not quite sure that sneer is the right word, but um, sneer at people we don't agree with. So Brexiteers or readers of the Sun. Um, you know, are, are people that buy the sun on a daily basis, are, are they idiots or, you know, what, how do we, how do we reconcile that issue? I wouldn't say that I sneer at the readers of the sun in the book, just to, um, just to adjust that. But um, yeah, there is a problem with lots of like Remainers sneering at Brexiters, Brexiters sneering at Remainers. I don't really know how you reconcile that. It's just mm. kind of a situation that we found ourselves in now. I think it's um, I, I, my view. I, Bonnie Greer 
um, put it fantastically well when we did um, this podcast live uh, about a year ago now, I guess it would be Steve. And yeah. someone in the audience um, who uh, was making a very pertinent and good point um, at the end referred to Brexiteers as idiots. And Bonnie um, immediately said, we can't, we can't call people we disagree with idiots. We've just got to do our best to, um, to, to convince them um you know and and to have a conversation about it to have a debate about it um and i think that's probably where i'm i'm coming from in the you know we're allowed to you're allowed to um have a go at the sun of course and you've done a very good job of that in this book and you know we often laugh at the letters page of the uh sunday express that's one of our favorite things to do on this podcast and we're allowed to do all that but at the same time um you know i think I'm sure you would agree that we've got to be open to other people's views as well, as long as they're not homophobic, et cetera, et cetera. You know, there is a line, of course. Yeah, I mean, of course, you've got to um, be open to debate and to convincing people. And the way to do that isn't to go shouting that they're an idiot. No. <laughs> um, and I'm not suggesting you have. I was just interested in your view. Um, and later on, we'll be doing the worst Brexiteers of the week. <laughs> yeah, we are <laughs> sneering there. We are certainly far more in the sneery uh, yeah. category uh, than, than than many, but we do it. We do it in a knowing a knowing way. Um, yes. Yeah, so, 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 sorry, um, James. I'd say it is it is fine to do some mockery. <laughs> oh um, yes, of course. Especially when, like, yeah, the the farcical situation at the moment. Um, well, from which could refer to anything that's happened over the past. <laughs> year or five um so I, th- I think some mockery is fine it's probably best to stick to ideas or make big politicians you shouldn't be mocking like the people who believe them <laughs> you should be mocking like uh, jacob Rees-Mogg. yeah kind of person i think it's fine to call him thick <laughs> basically yeah. Yeah. yeah oh absolutely absolutely <laughs> we should definitely do that well Listen, m- mockery I'm all for, and I think your book does it very well. But I also have to say, I also think The Sun does mockery quite well as well and has done for many years. Um, so it, maybe maybe you and The Sun can happily mock each other for, for many years to come. Um, Steve, have you got anything else you wanted to, uh, wanted to address with James? No, I don't. I just wanted to say um, I enjoyed the book. I really loved the previous book, which, um, which uh, many people will have got, which is 50 Times Britain was a, a bell end. You should follow uh, James. Um, what's your Twitter handle, James? Uh, Jim M. Felton. And um, you've got a tremendous amount of followers. How many followers did you have before Brexit? uh about about a thousand <laughs> and how many have you got now uh 236 or seven or something like that thousand thousand yeah, yeah. <laughs> james could, is, could you send your followers james is the brexit dividend <laughs> <laughs> Well, it's been a pleasure, James, and I'm sure lots of. Um, oh no, we've cancelled Christmas, so there won't be any. Your book won't be in any stockings come the 25th of December. But I'm sure lots of people will will pick it up, and it's out on the 6th of October. Did you say? Seventh. Uh, Seventh. Seventh of October. Sunburn by James Felton. Uh, check it out if you. Well, check it out if you're interested in tabloid journalism. Full stop. But if you've got a particular uh, distaste for the Sun newspaper, then you will definitely enjoy this. James, thank you so much for coming on. We really appreciate your time. Thank you for having me. Cheers. Thanks, James. Um, Chat was James.
That was James Felton. That was James Felton chatting about his new book, which I, um, which which we read yesterday. I also start actually picked up in honour of that. Picked up my copy of Stick It Up Your Punter, which if if people well, haven't read, they should also read. Uh, I mean, you know, I'm I am a big um, defender of of all journalism, whether I like it or not, and. Um, and you know but but equally shining a light on some of the horror stories um at the sun newspaper in the 80s um is you know is fantastic and the and sticky Up Your does it superbly well and with great humor as well as does james's book so why not buy them both how about that yes exactly exactly um i wanted to ask you about keir starmer did you I did want to be because I know you love Keir Starmer and I I'm, I, I'm, I've become quite enamored of Keir Starmer and we've seen um, after weeks of um, after weeks of the Corbynistas saying well he's not really moved the polls in any direction have we we've, we've now seen I think we've now seen two polls uh, where they're tied and uh, on 40 points with the Tories and we've seen um, a couple of polls where Labour are, are up sharply and and just coming uh, a couple of points behind the Tories. So the, the poll tide seems to be turning. Mm. First of all, what about this little bump in the road with um, the three Labour MPs who've lost their junior roles, Nadia Whittam, who people like, I, I've got a lot of time for Nadia Whittam, um, is, is one of them. They, they went against instructions to abstain on the, the overseas operations bill, um, which is obviously against these sort of vexatious um, prosecutions do you think that that was an unforced error or do you think that was uh, as some other people are saying a, a, a clever move by Keir Starmer yeah no I don't think it was an unforced error I think of all the things you, you won't see Keir Starmer do it is unforced errors he's uh, you know he's he is a um a thoughtful chap and he will have weighed this up um I think that it is often very difficult for the general public to quite get their head around how party discipline works in a political party um, because we like to think that we vote for our local MP and they go off to Parliament and they vote with their uh, conscience. That is what's happened here. However, when you're the leader of a party and you're trying to get into power and you are sending messages down, you know, um, you would expect your MPs to do what they're told as well. So MPs really have got thousands, tens of thousands of bosses back in their constituency and they've got one in their party and they've got a way of how they deal with that. Yeah. Um, so no, you know, no uh, ill feeling from me towards these um, PPSs, uh, or, or that's what Nadia was, um, uh, MPs. But equally, I think that probably it was the right thing to do. And I think it sends a message uh, out to his party that he is, you know, he is going to be, he is going to be a strong leader. He has the ability to, to punish when it, when he feels it's required. Um, so yeah, I think it, I think it was a pretty smart move from Keir, to be honest. Not yeah, so cuddly it's, Keir. It's interesting to, it's interesting to compare Nadia Whittam's sort of statement on Thursday with, with what she said um, on Peston when it was kind of broken to her that she'd lost her job, wasn't it? Um, and she sort of said, you know, the bill was a matter of conscience and I understand why people abstained and thought that they could amend it at the committee stage and all of that. So so that's good. I thought Keir did really well at... at, at um, Keir is my mate now. I thought he did uh, really well at, at PMQs. I wanted to ask you, though, about the 
the conference, uh, the yeah. virtual conference speech, um, where um, quite a few interesting things came up, didn't they? Um, I think um, the, the one that people who listen to this podcast will be most concerned with was um, when Keir Starmer said, let me be absolutely clear, the debate between leave and remain is over. We're not going to be a party that keeps banging on about Europe. Now, is this smart? Is this, or is this, as one letter writer to the New European Print Edition said this week, you know, this is abdicating responsibility and you are basically passing up the chance to, um, to, to say, I told you so on Brexit by, by doing this. If I'd have been writing that speech, um, and I am here available for speech writing duties if needed, um, I would have probably phrased it slightly differently. How? I think that, uh, um, well, let me just rewind a little bit. Kia actually delivered that speech in front of an actual red wall. I don't know if you noticed that. Um, yeah. And, I, and I'm, I'm not sure if that was intentional or not. But he, um, he realises that there are traditional, some traditional Labour voters, obviously, who didn't vote Labour last time, and he needs them to vote Labour again. He then also needs a great swathe of the centre of politics who would never have voted for Jeremy Corbyn and voted Tory last time, but have voted for the likes of Tony Blair and Gordon Brown in the past to, to vote for him. So he, because without power, he can do nothing other than, other than good opposition, which he, I, think, I think now, however many months in, I think we can safely say that Keir Starmer is doing a pretty good job of being an opposition leader. This is a proper opposition now. Um, but without power, he, he, can't, he can't move us forward with regards to Europe. We are going to Brexit. We're, we are leaving the EU. The, that fight, that, that battle is lost. The war isn't, however. And I would, I would hope that... I didn't like the banging on about Europe thing. I, I think what I would have said would be along the lines of, you know, there, there may be those among us who are disappointed about the fact that we are leaving Europe. Um, what, but it is going to happen. What the Labour Party, and with me as its leader... I'm speaking as Kia now, um, yeah. would, would look to achieve is to make sure that there is not a, um, a border, whether real or virtual or, uh, you know, between us being able to trade with them. We are still European and we still want to work closely with Europe. And we will, we will you know, my Labour Party would, would look to um, uh, not slam the door on Europe, not turn our backs on it, but look to work with them as closely as we possibly can. Perhaps yeah. throw, throw in a what, why, you know, and 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 sh and show how a, a strong um, reciprocal relationship is good for every single person in Europe yeah. and indeed in the UK. I think I would have probably gone a bit more down those lines, but but I can see why he didn't. I can see why he didn't. But I think that's what he thinks. I think that's what he thinks, and I think that's why he said it. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's right. And I, 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 I thought it was a smashing speech. My, my favourite bit of the speech was the fact that he didn't mention Jeremy Corbyn once. I don't think that ever, it, that I can remember, a new leader takes over from another leader and doesn't mention them in their first conference speech. It mm. is pretty much a given. It's what you do. Um, however bad that leader before you may, may believe to have been. For him not to mention Keir Starmer at all is a very clear sign that Labour is is back into the territory where people might vote for them. 
Um, they are moving um, away from uh, from the left and they are moving to the left of centre, which is where a modern Labour Party needs to sit if it wants to get into power. And um, for that, Keir, I thank you. He did mention Tony Blair, which was interesting. Um, Again, I mean, the th- the, I, I, it's a very difficult. It's going to be very difficult for Tony Blair to be detoxified within his lifetime. I'm so I'm, I'm you know, and I, I I'm quite openly a fan of Tony Blair, apart from that one big problem, which was the Iraq War, of course. Um, so that was brave. I thought that was brave, but it's a nod to where the party is going, if um, uh, positioning wise, ideologically. Again, I probably wouldn't have mentioned Tony Blair by name either. I think there are other ways that you could make it clear that they're moving more towards a, a, a you know, a, a, the centre um, without without actually naming him. But, you know, we'll, we'll see. We will see. Um, I mean, he is he, he has beaten up Boris Johnson uh, quite considerably over the last few weeks, hasn't he? Um, I, I really liked the, the, the speech lines about the differences between Boris Johnson and him when he was writing flippant columns about Bendy Bananas, I was defending victims and prosecuting terrorists. The Bendy Bananas thing I thought was a little, a little nudge to a little nod to us going, I'm going to say something, you know, I'm going to say something that you're not going to like, but I am going to mention the Bendy Bananas um, as a little nudge to say, um, I, I, I hear you. Uh, when he was being sacked by a newspaper for making up quotes, I was fighting for justice and the rule of law. Um, I tell you what I did, which I th- what I thought was the baffling bit was um, what we say at the next general election isn't written yet. It won't sound like anything you've heard before. It will sound like the future arriving. <laughs> <laughs> like garlic bread. <laughs> That's the future, isn't it? Oh, um, goodness. That's good. Maybe he's going to like adopt a robot voice or something. It was I am the future arriving. Welcome to the future, and then we could have some like, uh, some like really sort of hard electronic music, like knife party in the background or something. Absolutely, that'd um, be great. I, I would I, have liked him to have rounded off with a bit of lockdown to Electric Avenue. <laughs> um, the other thing that I, I wanted to talk about this weekend that I've written about in the print edition of the New European is this ludicrous idea that the Telegraph's fogey-ish columnist, Charles Moore, he used to be the editor of the Telegraph, he used to be the editor of the Sunday Telegraph and the Spectator, and he wrote um, a 2,800-page biography in three parts of, of Margaret Thatcher. Um, he absolutely hates the BBC, and... Um, Therefore, the Tories want to make him, the government wants to make him the new BBC chairman. Um, it ha- I'm going to read you the Mail on Sunday headline. I think this is possibly the, 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 the most classic Mail on Sunday or Mail headline ever written. Is Boris about to make Charles Moore, a pro-hunting, anti-licence fee Brexiteer, the new BBC chairman? Brackets, it's the question that will have the broadcasting house Wokarati choking on the turmeric lattes. <laughs> Wokarati is good, though, isn't Wokarati it? Wokarati and the turmeric lattes. I, I think if you had a Daily Mail or Mail on Sunday headline cliche bingo card, that would have been a full house. Um, I also I saw good. I saw someone refer to someone referred to uh, Meghan Markle as Wokarono earlier this week. I thought that was funny as well. <laughs> That is quite. That is quite funny. Um, it's great, isn't it? They just they um, 
It, it, I, th I think the, the, the attitude to, um, harking back to when we were talking to, to, to Jim Felton before, the tabloid attitude to, uh, and the male attitude to Meghan Markle is amazing, isn't it? It's like, well, if you want to, you know, if you want to speak your own mind and everything, you should get out of our country, give up being a royal, pay back the money that we paid for your house. And now they've, she's left the country, paid back the money that she, they paid for, we paid her for the, the house, given up being a royal, and <laughs> they still hate her. It's, well, um, I'm afraid, Steve, I'm afraid, Steve, much as I hinted at with, when I was speaking to James, I have very little, if no sympathy, for celebrities, and I have absolutely no sympathy for the royals. So I, I'm afraid I'm with, I am with every news editor and every editor at Bashy Meghan Markle. Don't chase her around with cameras and stuff. Don't do that. But because you don't need to, because they keep doing silly things like getting involved in American politics, you know. So they, they've made their bed. They can sort off and lie in it, in my opinion. Well, I think they have made that. They've made their bed and they are lying in it. It's, 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 I think to me, it's fascinating. They've, they've given up what they've, what they've given up specifically so they can do stuff like this, I, I would guess. And now people. Yeah, are... well, in that case, then her husband should probably give up his title as well. Well, I guess, he, you know, I think he's... He's not a working member of the royal family, is he? He's but, still yeah, a he, prince. Yeah, he's this is probably... What, the artist formerly known as Prince Harry would be a good... If they, if that would be great! He started calling himself that and doing uh, lockdown to Electric Avenue. Um, then, my, listen, there is still time for, for Harry and, and Meghan to win over my affections, and that would be a great start. If he, if he becomes a symbol and... Um, and yeah. releases, it releases a, 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 an, an ill-advised movie called Ginger Rain. <laughs> this would be... I should do their PR. Yes, you should Come definitely do their PR. Reach out um, to me, Prince Harry. It's Charles Moore, if you don't know who Charles Moore is, um, well, I, I mean, I've given you his CV. You, you might remember a few months ago he was in the news because he said Olivia Coleman shouldn't play the Queen because she's got a left-wing face. <laughs> um, he, he, he also said, if you remember, that the tragedy of David, he said, some people are trapped in poverty, but the tragedy of David Cameron is that he's trapped in wealth. Um, he said loads of stupid things over the years, as you would imagine a Daily Telegraph columnist would, but I don't think that disqualifies him from running the BBC. I just think it's the fact that he doesn't like the BBC, and, and um, he says that, BBC is in the middle of a cultural revolution against being white, British, male, and taking pride in our history uh, and culture. He says that people within the BBC are mutinously determined to assist the EU. Um, he says that um, the licence fee is an offence to freedom. He says he wants to scrap Radio 1 and 2 and other entertainment channels. And he says he likes Radio 3 and Radio 4. Um, and if they are good for our culture, then ways such as subscription can be found for paying for them. And I just, you know, I think that probably should disqualify him from being the BBC. It might, you know, you might as well. It's amazing to put somebody in charge of something where they just hate everything that it's um, that it, it, it's about. It's like putting. It's like when Brian Clough became manager of Leeds United, <laughs> or, or it's like putting Greta Thunberg in charge of. HS2, or indeed putting Sir David Frost in charge of the trade talks with the EU. Um, it's uh, quite amazing. Anyway, I think it's I think it's unlikely, but I think you make a very good point, Steve. I mean, it's a, I know it's a sort of ceremonial role, isn't it? And 
you know, it's subsidiary to the, whoever the director general and, and the, you know, the other sort of high ranking members of his team are or her, her team are. But, you know, it just seems crazy to me. Crazy. Anyway. Crazy. Well, I think we should take a little pause and come back after this short message with our Brexiteers of the Week. Brexiteer of the Week. Welcome back. Steve, um, as aforementioned, we do not sneer on this podcast, um, but mockery is fine. So please mock some Brexiteers. Uh, I'm going to. I'm going to start with George Eustace, Camborne and Red Ruth MP. Um, he spoke at the launch of the Pro Leave campaign group Farmers for Britain on March the 23rd, 2016, and he said what Brexiteers always said. He said the EU need a free trade deal as much or perhaps even more than we do, and so it was all going to be all right. And four and a half years on, how is that going for him now? Well, he's going all right for him. He's the Environment Secretary now, um, and he said this week um, that the it turns out that the EU don't need a, a free trade deal even more than we do because he said that it, it might not be a, a free trade deal in time for January, um, but there will be an outbreak of common sense. Uh, some kind of trade agreement will ultimately put together. It might be done in the middle of next year. Whatever happened to us, uh, them needing us more than... We needed them. James Dyson, I don't know if you saw the interview with him in the Times at the weekend. He said, I've got no regrets about backing Brexit. Um, But then he said, the British government is not going to match EU farming subsidies for long. He said that British farmers are going to have to be a lot more efficient to survive. But maybe this is an opportunity to get more effective. Or maybe it's an opportunity for British farmers to enjoy the thrills of bankruptcy and rural poverty and associated misery. He also said, I'm not against chlorinated chicken from America. We swim in it. Well, <laughs> well then we don't go on to eat each other after that, do we, James? Or, or maybe he meant that we, you know, the latest fad among billionaire Brexiteers is to actually go swimming in a lake of chlorinated chicken. Um, Boris Johnson has, has, has made a fool of himself on countless occasions this week. Um, I really loved the... Uh, the story with friends of his being quoted in the Times uh, to say that he's worried and complaining about money. Um, why is that? They said well, he's still supporting to different degrees four of his six children. He's been through an expensive divorce. He's had his income drop by more than half. His use of the flat he shares with Carrie Simmons above number 11 is taxed as benefit in kind and any food sent up from the Downing Street kitchen is charged to him. Yes, it's it's Incredible stuff, isn't it? And he's still making £150,000 a year. And, he, OK, he can't write his terrible Telegraph columns uh, about bendy bananas at the moment and make even more. But when he leaves his job, which he will do quite soon, I'm becoming increasingly convinced, he's going to rake it in for years on the international lecture circuit. And I'm, I'm just wondering whether there was a violin uh, that is tiny enough to play a sad lament for Boris Johnson. But the Brexiteer of the Week is a member of the public. It's a guy called Nathaniel Davis, and he has been sentenced to do 250 hours of unpaid work after threatening to burn down the shop underneath the flat where he lives. Uh, I think you can... That sounds a bit of a silly thing to do. (laughs) see the floor of of that, can't you? Mr. Davis from (laughs) Barrow sent a series 
of offensive messages to his landlord's agent, including, I don't like immigrants, I support Brexit, they're taking our jobs, I will burn this place down. Uh, on the threat to set the property be, be, below his own home on fire, uh, Davis's lawyer, Kate Templeton, said with considerable understatement, uh, he has a tendency to speak before he thinks. So he is the Brexiteer of the world. Oh dear. Nathaniel Davis, congratulations. Um, I, 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 there's I'm a bin not lorry sure. outside my house. This is exciting. Oh, there's a bin lorry outside your house. Breaking news. That is exciting. Breaking um, so news. So you'll be able to hear go. that on the microphone. We couldn't. I can't hear it, but we could, we couldn't bring you the breaking news of Rishi Sunak um, and his uh, and his um, new job support scheme, which someone has just sent me this email um, in response to that, um, which simply says, um, uh, "Pay as you grow," which is the name that you'll become yes. familiar with before you before you even listen to this pod. Pay as you grow is lipstick on a pig. Yes. Um, so there you go. That's. Uh, I, that is- it, doesn't seem to be being met with such uh, such the round of applause that the furlough scheme was. No, uh, but we will that's see been it. said by John Kay, director of Bury St Edmunds based Camp Tales Doggy Daycare. <laughs> Is it? Yeah, Camp Tales Doggy Daycare. Are the tails camp or or is it? Uh, no, well, I, t- I tell you, I don't think it's the same person. I've got it from. Um, I've got it from, uh, I don't know, someone speaking on behalf of, oh, you're right. Yes, that's yeah. right. Camp you, Tales, you're... Camp Tales doggy, doggy Daycare. Well, I'll tell you a little story. I've been to Camp Tales Doggy Daycare in person. Have you? I have, <laughs> bizarrely, um, because they entered an award. and they re- award. Yeah, and they received the nomination and they came along. They weren't successful, they didn't win, but it was. it is the most extraordinary place. You look through this sort of um, two-way mirror. It's a bit like Berlusconi's place. And there's all these dogs having the time of their lives. It is like a doggy theme park. It's fantastic. It's a lot of fun. Um, I don't like, I don't like the, to, to introduce the, the Berlusconi into that. <laughs> um, no, there, there is nothing Berlusconi about doggy dick. I'm not no. saying that. But just the two-way mirror, that's all. So the dogs can't see you. Yeah. Uh, well, listen. I think we've come to the end of yet another new European podcast. Um, uh, I think we have. Yeah. I mean, if you leave. enjoyed it, which I did, I hope you did, then you should subscribe to it on your podcatcher of choice and you should leave us a, a really great review with lots of stars, please. Um, yes, do that. You can, obviously you can uh, buy the new European print edition in shops We've got a new website. It's really great. Go and check it out at theneweuropean.co.uk. And while you're there, you can follow the link and then you can subscribe to the print edition and you get 13 issues for £13 right now if you're a new subscriber. Um, So that's good. That's the thing to do. It certainly is. Can I just say about the website? Um, it it deserves some love from us. The the, the website is the content of the website has always been superb. Uh, hat tip, John Reed, and um, and team. Uh, but the new website is so quick. It is it, it is a really really fantastic piece of work, and we've spent a heck of a lot of money on it. So check it out. Uh, the experience was decent before. It's really good. It's really good now. So log on. Um, until next week. That is um, it from us. Follow me on Twitter at Porrit, P O W R I T. 
follow the new european on twitter at the new european uh, and follow me on twitter at sanglesey s-a-n-g-l-e-s-e-y goodbye snowflakes we love you we do indeed mr campbell blow on your bagpipes here you go <laughs>